We'll be covering the 40th message in the series of messages that on the whole counsel of God. We've spent many, many weeks dealing with this foundational subject, and that is who and what is God. We're coming now today to the final aspect of what is referred to as God's attributes, and that is the subject before us, the truth of God, the truth of God. And I invite your attention to two passages of scriptures. You have your scriptures with you today. First John chapter 17 and verse 3, and then Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. John chapter 17, verse 3, and then Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. In laying this foundational stone, which is necessary before we can progress on to the many other great teachings in the Bible, we must be anchored in to this great truth, who is this God that we're talking about? And we've answered that question to the best of our abilities in regard to the scriptures by defining God as an eternal spirit, infinite, unchangeable in all of his ways, possessing perfect wisdom, perfect power, perfect holiness, perfect justice, perfect goodness, and then finally the message today, perfect truth. We serve the true and the living God. In John chapter 17 and verse 3, the words of Christ, This is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Beloved, it is important in our worship that we recognize that true worship can only be given to one God. And that is the true God which has been revealed in the pages of the Bible. The idea that there are many gods which can all be equally worshipped and acceptable is not that which is revealed in the pages of the Bible. We find the one true and living God, one supreme being who is a spirit, who is infinite in all of his ways, who is eternal, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, who is unchangeable in all of his wisdom and power and holiness and justice and goodness and truth. Now let's go over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 and verse 6, and we'll find out some things necessary involving this true God. Jesus said it is eternal life to know him. Therefore, the obvious deduction is, if we do not know this true God, then we do not possess eternal life. Chapter 11 and verse 6, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now notice this true God requires faith in order to please him. And before anyone can come to a true faith, they must know two things about this God. Number one, that he is. 
And number two, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Mentions many, many times of invitations, come unto me, come unto me. Now then, the writer here of Hebrews says that he that comes to God before he comes must be made aware of two things. Number one is who this God is, that he exists, and secondly, he must be assured that this God is able to perform what he has promised. Now, what do we mean by the truth of God? What do we mean when we say that God is the only true God? We speak of the true and the living God. Truth can be defined in these words, so listen carefully to the definition. Truth is that which is revealed and not concealed. Truth is that which does not fail or disappoint our expectations. Have you ever thought something about someone only to have them disappoint you? Well, certainly all human beings disappoint because we have much error within us. But when we talk about the truth of God, we're talking about that which God is, that which God does, which he cannot fail or disappoint our expectations. I may make you a promise. I may tell you I'm going to do something. And because of wickedness or ignorance or some other motive on my part, I may not perform that, and therefore I will disappoint or fail you. That means that I am not a possessor of all truth. But God reveals himself as the true God, the one which will not fail and cannot disappoint our expectations in what he has promised of himself and what he will do. <clears throat> now, our writer here in Hebrews tells us that faith is absolutely essential in coming to the knowledge of this God. Now, let's look at it again. Two things about this faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. Number one, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Now, before anyone can come to God by faith, they must first of all know something about God. Before you embrace something or someone, you must first know what you're embracing. That is why that the Bible speaks so much about eternal life as being basically the of God. And before a person faith in God as an object of trust, they must know something about that God. And I think that before we go any further, this is one of the differences, as I see it, in modern evangelism, which de-emphasizes King and of the scriptures and emphasizes all many other things, but just gives lip service to imparting knowledge to individuals and then trying to make great 
amounts of pressure upon them to make a response when they do not know what they're responding to. You and I cannot love someone if we don't know them, beloved. And I can just give read a text of Scripture and then spend 30 minutes trying to persuade you to make a decision, but if you do not have knowledge to you, you're not going to know what you've decided. And here is the case. Is ten minutes of the rest of the service was something else, and then people are encouraged to embrace God, when in reality they're embracing a God who is unknown. He, that we're going to have eternal life, we must know the Lord Jesus Christ, something about him. So they must... Yes. Now let's go back to the book of Acts, chapter 7. We'll find the apostle Paul ran into this very situation when he preached before a group of people in the area known as Mars Hill, there in, in Athens. In Acts chapter 17, and begin twenty or verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, I perceive that in all things you are to For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worshipped, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that the Lord of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life, breath, and all things. Now notice what Paul came upon. He came upon a group of people which were very, very religious. They had idols everywhere, and they were worshiping all of these different idols. <clears throat> and to make sure that they had not overlooked some god, they erected a special idol which said to the unknown god. Now, Paul saw a problem here right off. Gentlemen, I perceive this to be true, that as I have observed your religious approach to God, I found this altar which says to the unknown God. Now he says, that unknown God, I'm going to declare him unto you. I'm going to reveal who this true God is. And he says, it is the God which made the world and all things therein. I believe Brother Frank read this morning, we'll study the 100th Psalm, which one of the verses said, It is God which has made us, and not we. And so this is what Paul had to explain to this group of people. That the true God is the one which is the creator of all things. That all other gods are but false gods and are but idols. Lots of men. There can be but one creator. Not two creators. There can be one origin of all things, not several different origins. And thus this God, which made the heaven and earth and all things therein, seeing that he has done this, he's not limited to temples made with hands. 
He's the one which has created all. Therefore, he's not a little limited local deity. He is the ruler over heaven and earth. And then he is neither worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing that he giveth to all life and breath and all things. God is not one that is dependent upon men to build him up, because he's the one that gives life and breath and things to all people. So God is not dependent upon men, but men are dependent upon him. And so this by Paul to these individuals on Mars Hill merely sets forth the words of Christ that you may know the only true God and his Son, Jesus Christ. So before a person can come to God in saving faith, they must first of all know who and he is revealed as the creator of all things. Now, this is why, for the word of young people, particularly those of you that plan on going to college, secular education or religious education, whatever it may be, truth, now hear me carefully, truth originates in God, not in man. And as soon as you go to any secular college today, with the exception of very few, which I could almost name on my, on my, number them on my two hands that exist in the United States of America, as soon as you go to any secular college, here is where you're going to begin at in your pursuit of truth. Nearly all colleges today begin with the assumption that truth originates in man, and they leave out God entirely. You go back to the way it was founded. This has not always been the case. Yale, Princeton, these various schools were founded as institutions of and they believed Man could not know any truth apart from God. And that's why they made what was called theology the central theme of all education. Now, early American education began in the study of God. And it was believed then that man who he was if he knew who God was. But now then, that has all changed. And you young people, you're going to go into colleges here in a few years, and the first thing you're going to be exposed to is that man is where you begin your study of. That's why anthropology, if man, will be that which you will major in in education, in the schools, because it's no longer believed in the one true God and his existence, and it's not believed that it's necessary to know him in order to know who we are. But that's where the great failure of modern education has fallen down. It assumes that man himself is the source of all truth, and whatever he wants to make is true, he has that right. So you just know yourself, and then you set out and make a world for yourself. This is why Paul says in Second Corinthians, Second Timothy, chapter three, verse seven: They are ever learning and never able to the knowledge of the truth. 
Suppose you set out to find truth in man and in the creation, and you studied and you studied and as our natural scientists do. And they learn and they learn and they learn and they're able now to put men on the other and all the great advancements that have been made in natural science. And yet Paul says that these are individuals who are ever learning, yet never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why? Because they are not seeking truth as being in the Creator God. Now, science could not discover anything if God had not established the law science. There are laws of mathematics, two plus two is four. There are laws of physics and of the elements. Science would never have discovered that there are two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen which comprise water unless a creator had divine laws. Now they may discover, men may through their learning process will ever discover new laws and new rules in the creation and in man, but he will never be able to arrive at truth. Bows before this fact. There's one true God and his Son, Jesus Christ. When you study sense of life, apart from God, you will never come to the truth of who you are and why you're here and where you are going. So, Paul, the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is the author, says that before a person can come to God saving faith, they must believe that he exists. Now, secondly, though, before they can come to God by faith, they must be assured that he can be trusted to perform that which he Can you trust this God? Now, who is he? He's a God of all truth. He is a spirit. So you're not going to be able to see him. He's an infinite spirit, an eternal spirit, an unchangeable spirit. He's a he has all power, all holiness, all justice. He's an all good God. But can you then trust him? If you now know who he is, can you trust his promises which he says he will perform. Truth is the object of trust. When you hear a preacher or someone standing before you and they say, come to Jesus Christ and put your faith in him, do you understand what he's inviting you to do? Do you understand that he is saying to you that this God and his son Jesus Christ are the objects of all truth which you can trust him in. Can you trust God and his Son with your life? Can you trust him with all of your existence and lean upon him in saving faith? He that cometh to God must see that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, you say, Pastor, how can I trust someone whom I have never seen? Well, first of all, although you have never seen the invisible God, yet you know something. He has revealed himself 
through the pages of the Bible and through his Son, the written or the living word which came down from heaven. But let's go to the book of Romans, chapter 4, and here's a passage of Scripture which perhaps the Spirit of God might be pleased to uh, seal to some heart here today to give you an assurance as to how you can know that you can trust your very life into the hands of this one true God. We read in Romans chapter 4, named Abraham, which was the father of the Jewish race, and we read in this chapter that Abraham had a wife named Sarah. Sarah's womb was barren. She could not have children. She was very, very old. Abraham was old. And yet God had promised, remember, this God that we're talking about today had revealed himself to Abraham and promised Abraham that he was going to be the father of a nation of people which would be like the sand of the seashore and lie as many as the stars of the sky. And yet he can't even have children. So what was Abraham's reaction to the promise which this one true living God gave to him? Now remember, without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith is the simple trust in an object which is true. That's why I never invite anyone to trust me. Because while I may say this morning, I am speaking the truth, I cannot say I am the truth. Only Jesus Christ dared to say that. When he said, I am the source of all truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But when we place our faith in God or in Christ, we are trusting that what he says is true. Now look how Abraham reacted then. In verse 17 of Romans chapter 4, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him who believed, even God. But now, Paul doesn't want to just throw out the name God and then let everybody make up their own minds as to which God he's talking about. Notice, God who quickeneth the dead. That's the God that we serve. It is a God which gives life to the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Our world, he calls into existence even though it exists previously. This is the God that appeared to Abraham, and this was the object in which Abraham's faith trusted in, the God which can do all things. This, again, Abraham, verse 18, who against believed in hope. Some of you women, you go to the doctor, and the doctor gives an examination of you, and he tells you there is no physical way that you can have a child. Now, what happens to your hope? It dies, doesn't it? There's no way I can have a child. Now, Abraham, by his own flesh, he had no hope. And yet, against that hope, he believed 
and had hope in the true God. If he believed that God, which can quicken the dead, can also quicken the womb of his wife, and thereby he has come to God now because he believes this God exists and he believes this God can perform the promises which he gives. Well, let's go on. That he might become the father of nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Abraham looked at his own body, and he says, I'm an old man, a hundred years old, I can't have children. And he looked at Sarah's body, and her womb was barren. She couldn't bear children. And yet he took his eye off of those two natural sources, and he looked at this God, and he gave glory unto this God in believing that God could quicken the womb of Sarah. Then, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, glory to God, now notice this, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Do you believe God is able to perform what he promises, beloved? Do you believe he exists? Do you believe he's able to reward those which diligently seek him? If you believe that today with all your heart, then you are bowed and worshiping before the throne of the true and the living God. You're not adultery. But if you don't believe in the existence of God and you don't believe that God has an ability to do that which he says he will do, then you're worshiping at the throne of some other God, whom Paul says there is no other God. There is but one creator and ruler over us all. In verse 22, and therefore it was imputed into, unto him for righteousness. He that cometh to God without faith, it is impossible to please him. But when you do exercise that faith, there must be an object, and that object is the one true God. He exists, and there must be a trust that he is able to perform that which he has said he would perform. They must be assured of that. Truth is the object of trust. Well, the years roll by, and Abraham still has no child. Abraham means father of many, father of many. Well, can't you just see Abraham walking down the street, and he meets some of his good old friends, and they said, Hey, Abraham, where's your kids? And Abraham, whose very name means father of many, says, I'll have them, I'll have them. And years roll by, and it seemed less and less probable that the promise was going to be fulfilled. But one day, at God's own time, he spoke the same way he spoke, and the worlds came into existence, and the same way he spoke, and Lazarus came out of the tomb, he spoke, and the dead womb of Sarah was quickened, and a child was conceived. And an Isaac was born. And then when that was born, it but fulfilled 
Abraham's object of trust, which he had been believing in all of his life. Am I speaking to some sinner here this morning? And you're really wrestling with this thing of salvation, how you can be delivered from your sin and made right with God. And you say, Pastor Gables, I've tried about everything I know how to try. And I've tried this church, and I've tried that church, I've tried this ordinance, I've tried that ordinance, and still I do not have an assurance that my sins are forgiven. May I invite you then to look to a true source. Do you believe in the God which rules over all? Do you believe he exists? You say, yes, I believe he exists. Then secondly, do you believe that he has the ability to change your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh whereby you will willingly love and serve him? Do you believe that he which and the waves stand still has the ability to speak to your heart and say, peace, be still? You say, oh, Pastor, I just don't know, I believe, but help my unbelief. My friend, that's the beginning. Look unto this invisible God. See this one who has revealed himself as true. And to know him is to have life everlasting. You say, but Pastor, I just don't feel right. All right, just a minute. Where did God say that you were going to feel right? Hmm? Where did God say that you would know that you know him when you feel a certain way? My friend, there are times I get up in the morning and I just don't feel very good, to be honest with you. And there are times in which that my wife probably, when I tell her that I love her and I get up in a certain mood, she probably wonders. Sometimes also. But it is not my feelings which determine whether I know my wife or not, and it is not my feelings which are the basis of whether I know the true and the living God. Oh, many times I have some exalted feelings in communion with him, but many times I'm in a dungeon. I'm in a valley. And it is at those times when my womb of my own understanding looks barren, I have to look into the hills from whence cometh my help. I have to look afresh and see the God which spoke to me and brought me out of the kingdom of darkness and translated me into the kingdom of light. And to Abraham, beloved, look unto the God of Abraham. Abraham believed God and he gave God the glory. Do you trust him? Do you know that he's true? You say, well, what difference will that make, Pastor? My friend, if you have never come across some of the real trials of life, it will only be when you're flat on your back in the hospital or when you stand by the grave of someone very precious to you. At that time, you'll be able to look with tears flowing down your cheeks and to look up into the heavens and say, Oh, God, I know you're there. And I know that you reward those that diligently seek you. Father, I come to you now asking for grace to comfort my heart that I may honor you. 
And my friend, the true and the living God will never leave nor forsake, and he will never fail or disappoint any of our expectations, that which he has revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Again, I may make you a promise, and I may fail, but the God who is true shall keep all his promises which he has made to us in Christ Jesus. Do you want salvation today? Look unto him. Come to him through faith in that he exists and that he will do what he's promised to do. He loves to save sinners. He delights in showing mercy. Will you come even with those doubts and fears Say, I'm going to come to you anyway, Lord. I'm going to bow before you today. If you're here and you're troubled as a Christian because of some providence in your life that you don't understand, come afresh to this God which quickens the dead. Maybe you don't understand the financial setback that you're in. Maybe you don't understand the physical problem that you've just had reported. Maybe you don't understand what's going on around you in the world. Get your eyes off the creation. You'll never come to truth there. Put your eyes upon the one which made the creation, made you. You say, God, I don't understand why you've done it, but, oh, God, I come seeking you even now, believing and trusting in who you are and what you've done through your Son, Jesus Christ. Let's stand together this morning, everyone.